for those of you who uh, are trying to figure out what grace is all about, you know, we kind of purposely have kind of kind of chosen some songs that kind of kind of tell the old story, but kind of purposely bring it into a place where we go, oh, dude, that's what that's about. You know, last week we did Chris Tomlin's version. You know, my chains, my chains are gone. I've been set free. And it's kind of a little softer, and then you come into this one, and it's like Todd Agnew with that big, you know, race like rain. Got a little more pop to it, you know what I mean? We're trying to figure out what grace, you know, most of us, we sit and the first thing that comes to our minds is, because we've walked with Christ for very long at all, is this idea of unmerited favor. We think of grace, and that's the first thing that pops into our minds is this idea. And it seems kind of fluffy. Doesn't it? Guys, is that right? Huh? Seems kind of soft or warm and fuzzy. Uh, my wife and I went and made a visit here, so I go see Dora Carter. And she's not been well for a few weeks and has a very weak leg, and the doctors are trying to figure out she's worried about falling. She's been at church uh, all over the last several weeks. And we stopped and saw her, and somebody sent her a card, and she showed it to us. And uh, it was a, a secret, one of those secret sisters, she don't know who it is, somebody just sent her a word of encouragement and said, love your secret sister. On the front of it, you know, it's approached on Easter time, and on the front of it was this, this fuzzy little yellow duckling with hearts kind of all around, you know, and it said something like, wishing you warm fuzzies or something to that effect, and God's blessings in your life. And sometimes when we're thinking of grace, those are kind of the first kind of things that we think of, right? That grace is kind of this touchy, feely, lovey, warm, affectionate thing. And it is. But that's not all that it is. And if we just get stuck in that thing where grace is that nice pat on the back that we get every now and then from God, we might miss the real implication and the real power of the grace of God. Grace is not just the warm fuzzies. Grace, grace is something strong and powerful. It is, a, it is a powerful thing. It's an amazing thing. We think of grace as being that little duckling. But grace, grace is powerful. Men, I want to encourage you right now. Grace is strong. Grace is just not that hug. Grace is not just that, that, that affection. Grace is not just that warmth. Grace empowers people. Grace is like this. This is why grace, grace has power. Grace has strength. Grace keeps going. Grace endures. Grace keeps going and going and going. That is what grace, if you have any other idea of what grace might be, you might be missing it. I told you I need help. I'm breathing heavy, Mark. Mark told me he ran a 5K this morning before coming to church. Ah, grace is powerful. Grace is strong. Grace is amazing. You know, sometimes we need that added umph. We need to know that God will propel us onward and upward. We need that extra little thing that, that goes, you know, that extra in, injection of, uh, you know what I'm talking about? You need an extra little to push through and to push over. That extra little, and sometimes we think of grace, we just think of that. Oh, you poor soul. We think of grace as the ice skater, don't we? 
Rarely do we think of grace as the power to take out an enemy. Or grace as the ability to fight through a battle and make it to the other side. Rarely do we ever think of grace like that. And grace is amazing because grace is both kind of at the same time. It is warm, and it is affectionate, and it is loving, and it is beyond anything emotion-wise we could ever have, but grace is also amazingly powerful and amazingly strong, and grace is that thing that will push you over and upward and onward. Aren't you glad for that? We started last week over here with this picture of grace, and a person who hung on a tree had thorns applied to their brow, hung on a rough piece of wood. Saw pictures of it on the screen a minute ago. And how grace, that person of grace, made things available to us that we'd never have access to. Grace is that love that propelled Jesus forward. And it was not weak. It was not emaciated. And it was not powerless. It was strong. And I want to talk to you today about the power of God's amazing grace. Grace that empowers us to keep going, to keep moving. I think of this story. You guys think of this story because all of us, do, do all of, all, how many guys have had problems this week? Anybody have problems? Anybody face any kind of pain this week or suffering in some capacity or anybody? Because sometimes I think, we think of the grace of God and we're going through something and we feel like the guy in the story in the Bible who was laying on his bed and he couldn't get to see Jesus. So four friends of his show up, say, hey, let's take him to Jesus. And Jesus, they open up the roof of the building, they drop Jesus, they drop him in front of Jesus and Jesus looks at the guy and he goes, hey man, your sins are forgiven and there's grace. And the guy's kind of like, well, Okay. That's not really what I came here for, but thanks. And you know, his, his buddies are like, we did all that work for Jesus to tell him his sins. Does Jesus not realize what this guy is going through? Does Jesus not get, and sometimes we think, oh, there's the grace of God. My sins are forgiven, but dude, I got to live a real life. I got real problems. I have real issues. And we think grace is just about that forgiveness part of it. But Jesus says, so that you know, how, know I have the power to do both, your sins are forgiven, and get up off the bed and get out of here. And the grace that made the possibility for the sins to be forgiven is the same grace that gave the guy the power to get up off the bed. See, it's not just the ooshy-gooshy, warm feelings. It is the power of God. It is the power of to overcome it is the power to conquer the standing in the that is standing in the person of Christ the person of grace we talked about last week that gives us that oomph that we need there's this guy in the scriptures named Paul he wrote like two-thirds of the New Testament pretty significant person in the scriptures Call both of his storyline and his writings and his teaching that he gave us third Corinthians chapter 12 he's talking to the church in Corinth and he is describing his, his, he's been going through some things with him and explaining that he has authority as an apostle and several things and things that have led him to be able to say the things he says to them, different things like that. And he's explaining certain things that God had done in his life. 
certain revelations that he had had. And he gets to chapter 12, he's describing some of that, talking about going to heaven and different things like that, an understanding that he had of things. And then he gets to this next thing, and he talks about this gift he was given. Except most of us wouldn't consider it a gift. Tomorrow's Valentine's Day, right? How many of you ladies were like, hey, I, I want a gift on, on Valentine's Day. Anybody like that? You can be honest. It's okay. For some of you husbands, I just rattled your cage. You're like, oh, no. He's right. <laughs> Oops. Oh, no. Paul was given this gift, and he, called, he says this. I was sent a messenger of Satan. How many of you guys want that one? On the front side, he really talked about it as a gift, but we'll get to it. You know what I'm saying? He said, I was tormented. Some of us are like that. We've woken up even this morning, and there's some circumstance, some situation where our enemy is beating us up. He said, this messenger was Satan. Was sin- I was given a thorn in my flesh, he says, a messenger from Satan to torment me. Some of us have been tormented by things. We have been suffered in some sort of capacity in life, either an addiction or a frustration, some kind of ugly issue with a relationship or a a, a thing at work. There's something, there's some sort of besetting sin or something that we just can't seem to get away from. And we're like, we're like Paul, we're like, I got this thing every day. I get, you know what I mean? I am tormented, and I am frustrated, and I am angry, and I don't know what to do. And, I, and, and, and you don't realize that maybe God's doing something greater in your life. Like Paul, you're like, Jesus, do something about this. God comes to Paul, and he says, three different times, I beg the Lord to take it away. I'm begging for it to be different. I'm begging it for it to be going. I'm begging for something to be altered about this thing. God looks at Paul and he goes, each time he said, my grace that you need, my power works best in weakness. If grace were just simply some ooey-gooey, gushy, warm, affectionate kind of a feeling, that's not going to take care of a messenger from Satan that is tormenting. Are you with me? If we have problems and life is big enough and our enemy is trying to devour us, like 1 Peter says, if God responds to us, hey, my grace is all you need, and it's just ooey-gooey, gushy, warm, lovey, affectionate, and that's all that it is, we got big problems, don't we? But if it is a force, that changes the whole ball game, doesn't it? If it's something of strength and of power, if it's not meant just for our conversion experience, but it's meant for us to live in every day that we live, suddenly that makes all the difference in the world, isn't it? It's not just about the forgiveness of our sins, which we all get a chance to walk in. It is about the power of God at work in our lives on a daily basis. Not because we've earned anything, but because we are his kids, because he loves us, and because he wants strength to be seen in our lives. It's much more than just an ooey-gooey, warm. There was a guy at a youth camp for us a few years ago when Rachel and I first started youth ministry, Mike Ray. Anybody know Mike Ray? Mike's, Mike works at TAJ Electric here in town. He had been a pastor at one point, and 
Mike, Mike came and he, he talked about this. He said, you know, when you know God's around, and he, he just kind of, your, your whole body gets warm. And he, he called it the warm, the warm pee feeling. You're connecting with teenagers, I guess that made us a significant statement. You know what I mean? But it's, that grace of God is tangible and it's felt, but it's much more than just that warm thing. It's, it's amazing. It's strong. It's powerful. What is grace then? Well, what is grace is God's provision for all of our needs when we need it. A, a commentary I found this week wrote, wrote something like this. In the Christian life, we get many of our blessings through transformation, not substitution. We get many blessings through transformation, not substitution. When Paul prayed three times for the removal of his pain, he was asking God for a substitution. Give me health instead of sickness. Deliverance instead of pain and weakness. And sometimes, God does meet the need by substitution. Sometimes he does. How many of you guys have ever prayed a prayer like this? Oh, Jesus, I just want to be more like you. Have prayed a prayer like that? Huh? And then trouble shows up, doesn't it? And then you're like, Jesus, take care of this. And he's like, I'm trying to answer the other prayer. And we pray schizophrenic prayers. God, I want to be more like you, but I don't want to have to really, I mean, do we have to do that? That suffering thing is kind of, but keeps popping up in there, doesn't it? I, I, that, that, that dealing with me and who I am, how do I, yeah, it's tough, isn't it? And, let me read on, this is what it says, it says this. But other times he meets the need by transformation. He does not remove the affliction, but he gives us his grace so the affliction works for us and not against us. Oh, that's tough words, isn't it? We're used to McDonald's, right? I pull up to the window, 30 seconds later, I have a sweet tea in my hand, I'm driving back down the road, quenching my thirst, right? I got the dinner that flops in a microwave, and two and a half or three minutes later, I have a hot meal that's just taking care of my hunger problem. Right? And we ask to be like the person of Christ, and the very things God would use to make us more like him, we try and get him to remove from us and substitute something else in there. Right? Don't, do we do that sometimes? The question is, do we want substitution or do we want transformation? The question is, do we just want a quick fix or do we want to be fixed? Do we want to be different? Am I saying all pain is good? No. Am I saying all suffering is from God? No. Am I saying that all suffering is, 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 is something we, we should just covet and run to? No, none of us really want that. But I think we should also look at the fact that, you know what, that's a part of the, that's a part of the process. Jesus says words. I read it some this morning before I came to church. Jesus said, the slave is not any different than his master. He says, if they hated, if the world hated me, it will hate you. We have an enemy who hates the gospel of Christ, the person of Christ, God our Father in heaven, the work of the Holy Spirit, the truth of the gospel, and all those things. And he hates it. He will work overtime. And because we have aligned ourselves with the person of Christ, we can anticipate some reciprocation from an enemy who wants to destroy our lives. Are you hearing me? Suffering is a part of it. 
And somehow, some weird way, God takes what the enemy means for evil and he turns it into good. And I still don't figure out how, he's, how he does it all the time. I've watched him do it more times than I could care to talk about. And I mean, I, I think, I, keep, I was just talking to somebody a little bit ago. They said, I just must not be getting the lesson or something. You know? I said, sometimes the lesson isn't necessarily a, an academic thing where we just understand something. Sometimes it's a transformational thing where we become something that we weren't before. You get what I mean? Not easy. Not fun all the time. But very necessary. See, Paul is given this, this, this problem because he's got a work to accomplish. And you know what God is doing in the middle of it? He's making less of Paul and more of himself. Because Paul said, it was given to me because so I would not be lifted up in pride. You know what I think about this thorn in the flesh thing? Some people think, I've read all kinds of things, and I have a, I, I, I don't know, I, I, the scriptures aren't real clear, so anybody who's talking about it is kind of like theorized about what it might be or what it could be. Paul didn't go into a lot of detail. Because it's for the purpose of pride, my guess is, and because grace was necessary in the middle of it, some people think he, you know, he, it was his blindness of his eyes, it was this, it was, I mean, I don't know. I kind of think there was some sort of a character issue. That's just kind of what I think. Because it's meant for the purpose of keeping Paul from getting into pride. And because of the abundance of revelation, here's what I would say. None of us are in this, none of, I, I, none of us in this room are probably even in the same league as the Apostle Paul. <laughs> I know I'm not anyway. I can't speak for the rest of you, but I just, I've not quite got to grasp all the things Paul had to grasp on. And so the this enemy was probably not just some normal enemy, some normal messenger, some normal thing. At the same time, I think it was something meant for the purpose of saying, Paul, really, it's not about you. Remember that. I'm doing a lot of great things in your life. And, man, it's amazing to see the gospel being preached around you and through you and all that kind of stuff. But, Paul, never forget, it's still about me and my gospel. And so, Paul, just keep that where it's supposed to be. And Paul's facing some sort of a calamity, some sort of an issue that just keeps poking him in the face. Because the word buffet means to keep poking and to keep prodding. It means to keep sticking. And, and he's like, take this thing away. God says, Paul, my grace is sufficient, buddy. My grace is all that you need. And God would say to every one of you, whatever you it is you, that is poking and prodding at you, Whatever circumstance, whatever affliction, if, it is a, if it's a physical illness, it could be a physical illness that you're contending with, God would say this, my grace is sufficient. I'll walk you through this thing. My power will be just on display through your life, I promise. But walk with me through the process. It could be that there's a character flaw that you just can't seem to get together. There's a sin issue that just keeps busting your chops. And you're like, oh, crud. God, this morning, as you look into the mirror, as you get ready for church this morning, as you are trying to figure out what's going on with your life, the, the, and you're begging God just to, for it to be removed, God says, listen, I'm taking care of you, and I'm taking care of it. Let's walk. My grace is powerful to transform. Just walk with me. Grace God did not change the situation by removing the affliction, whatever it was. He changed it by adding a new ingredient called grace. Wow. As I was reading, I found something that grace is supernatural power to endure. Supernatural power to endure. Divine power is best displayed against the backdrop of human weaknesses. 
Divine power is best displayed in the backdrop of human weaknesses so that God alone is praised. Rather than removing the problem, God gave him grace in it. Thus, grace is sufficient. I like how they did this scene at the end of that, that video clip with Grace Like Rain because there's Jesus hanging on the cross and suddenly there's a flashback and there is Jesus dealing with the weakness of being a human in the garden and he's trying to contend with it and suddenly he's like, Jesus, I, God, I don't know what... If it's, he, Jesus is tempted in all points like we are. The scriptures tell us that. And in the moment of greatest suffering, Jesus is like, hey, is there a way we can get around this? If there's any other way, Father, I would really like to take that one. Is that what Jesus did? Let this cup pass from me. And in that moment, Jesus, in that scene, in that that clip, he he was hanging on the cross. All of a sudden, you see him back in the garden. And he, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. Not my will, God. And at that moment, the grace of God, I believe, the Father in heaven took over in Jesus' life. And God said, Jesus, my grace is sufficient. We'll get through this, I promise. Shortly thereafter, Jesus stands up and he walks back to the gate of the garden or whatever. And here come Judas and the rest of the guys. And he's like, okay, it's on. I love later on in the movie... Uh, the Passion of Christ, where he's he's standing there and he's made that decision that he's going to walk in the power that his Father supplies to him. And as he makes that thing, there's that little slithery snake. He stands up. And the grace of God our Father in heaven took over in the life of his only begotten Son. And he said, okay, if this is the process by which I bring transformation to the world, let's go. Let's do it. And it, he fulfilled Genesis 3 at that moment in an incident in time, but yet had to, had to walk through the process of making sure it was secured, which required great suffering, great difficulty, great frustration, great anger, great embarrassment, great shame, great all of that stuff right here. The funny thing to me is, We anticipate somehow that we can get a quick answer from God and all of a sudden all of it's just taken care of. It. The commentator wrote, sometimes God does do that by substitution. Sometimes. I don't know where you're at in that process. But God, God's biggest intention for you is for the transformation of your life into the likeness and the image of the person of Christ, the person of grace. That word power that's listed there, my power is best seen in weakness. Best in weakness. It's the same word in the Greek. It's found in Acts 1 where he tells the disciples to go back and wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. They've been doing power from behind. It's the Greek word dunamis which has to do with dynamite, like explosive power. He says, in your weakness... My amazing power is best seen. I don't know what your weakness is. I don't know what the buffeting messenger of Satan is in your life. I don't know what torment you're facing. But God has power that is sufficient. God has grace that is strong. See, the amazing story is there's the person of grace. That's only half of the story because there's the power 
of grace. See, we think that this, and Jesus said it's finished, and sin was paid for, the forgiveness part. I'm not going to get sidetracked. Grace, this is half the story. See, because Jesus hangs on a cross after all that suffering, And if the suffering he dealt with here on this planet weren't enough, the scriptures tell us, guess where he went from the cross? Jesus went to hell. So this is only halfway through the process. Are you getting what I'm saying? This, Jesus endured through the suffering of cross, spending time in hell, and right there, there's an empty doorway here. There's an empty cavern. There's something. He, Jesus was given the power not only to conquer our sin and that ooshy-gooshy love thing. He gave us the power to overcome anything and everything. Satan, the world, the flesh, all that would throw at us. And he said, listen, I have overcome it. It is okay. My grace is sufficient right here. We do have the love of God that he gave his only son, but his son came out of this tomb. The stone was rolled away, and things have been forever altered by that. Are you hearing me? Ah. Grace is also a promise. Jesus had the promise from his father. He would see him through and Alfred writes in a commentary that he wrote about this piece of scripture that the trial must endure. Listen, but grace shall also endure and never fail thee. Grace paid for our sin and grace empowered our risen Savior to come out of the tomb and conquer everything. And the same grace that pays for our sin empowers us to be more than conquerors. Paul writes somewhere in Romans 8 that we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. He goes through a whole litany, a whole list of things that could potentially get us sidetracked and separate us. He says, but all these things, is it death? Is it suffering? Is it famine? Is it sword? Is it hunger? Is it all that? He says, no way in all these things. We are more than conquerors. You know how Paul knew that? He had seen the risen Christ. Paul, the pompous, or Saul, the pompous and arrogant, was knocked off his horse by a Savior who was no longer in a tomb. And like the song we were referencing as we entitled these messages, I once was blind, but now I see. Paul had to become blind to see clearly. And some of us think we know what's going on and we think we know how to fix the problem and we're as blind as bats and God says, my grace is sufficient. Stop trying to figure it out and stop trying to fix it. Let my grace be all that you need. Let the power from my spirit be what sustains you. Let the gospel of my truth penetrate your heart in such a way that nothing can, can, can get you off track or sideways in your walk with me. I had a scratchy voice this morning. Believe it or not, I need a drink really bad. Grace is sufficient. The trial will endure, but grace must endure and will never fail thee. Romans 5, you find these words. Paul's writing again. 
He says, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. That's grace. He's brought us to a place that we cannot earn, that we don't have necessarily rights to. We've been dished something that is beyond description, that is amazing, that is, whew, where we now stand, he says. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Now listen to these words. We look forward to that, don't we? We all want that. We can rejoice too when we run into problems. How many of you had a, like a Holy Spirit moment this week when a problem showed up? Huh? Woo, thank you, Jesus. I know if I had a hanky, I'd throw, woo, you know? We've been a long time, probably since some of us have done that, haven't we? But Paul says we can rejoice too when we face problems. If we know God's grace is sufficient, and if we know he is transforming us, and if we know that he has good intentions on the flip side of everything that's coming at us, then we can rejoice even in the face of problems, even in the face of temptation. You know why? Because this thing right here is empty. There's a big dark hole right there where somebody used to be laid inside of it. They're not there anymore. So all the problems mean nothing anymore. He's overcome every one of them. He says in John 63, in this world, you will have trials and tribulations. He said, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. We didn't even do Easter yet. Got a cross on the stage, got a tomb there. We didn't even, we're, we're like, it's even a late Easter season this year. Not until the end of April, we're already ahead of the game. You know what I mean? Because this is what we have. This is what we've got to rejoice over. The Christ, the suffering servant, and Christ, the risen Savior, are the same person in our lives. And he makes us know the love of God. And he makes us know the power of God. And he helps us to walk in the strength that only he can provide. And I'm messing up this napkin really bad. I'm sweating. We can rejoice too when we're into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead us to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Wow. Wow. God's grace gives us access to salvation. God's grace gives us access to the power that we need. The power that we need is found in this person we call the Holy Spirit of God that fills our hearts with love. We don't get a relationship with him because we're so good or so awesome or so incredible. We get a relationship with the Holy Spirit of God for the same reason we get a relationship with God our Father in heaven. It's because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. All there. Romans 5. If I were sharp enough to do some sound editing, I could do like a little blip of an old song in here. I got the power. I can't dance though, so I got problems. I got the power. You got the power. We have the power by the grace of God. And the work of his Holy Spirit. God's grace gives us power to stand. In Romans 5, he says, one prayer, he said, By, in this, gra this grace in which we stand, that word stand means to stand firm. It is not stand like you're at the bus stop. 
That's not the kind of stand he's talking about. It's not the stand when you're at the arena, ladies waiting to get into the bathroom. It's not that kind of stand. The stand he's talking about is a fervent, firm declaration that I am going to walk this thing out with the person of Christ. I'm like, you look your enemy in the face and you say, it's God's grace that has brought me this far. Drawing that line and I refuse. You keep buffeting. You keep messing with me. You keep trying to mess with my family, mess with my job. And I'm standing right here in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's, it is sufficient and strong and powerful. It's in this grace that we stand firm. Paul writes in Philippians 4.13 that I can do all things through Christ who does what? Strengthens me. Wow. I told him in the first service, you guys remember when we had the power force here just a few years ago? Remember when Rachel and I, remember those guys, Jack and Josh, Kathy, remember Russ? You guys remember Russ? Russ Clear. Where's Todd? Where's Todd Jones at? Todd's, I haven't seen Todd this morning. Todd remembers Russ because Russ refused to back off. Todd decides to come to church during the power force. With his wife, knowing the place would be full and packed out, he could sneak off into the overflow and just be hiding back there. And the grace of Jesus showed up in a person that was about six, six, I don't know how big Russ was. Remember the time, Rachel, when I met him right in front of Damon's, we knew he had to be him. We had never seen him before. We got a phone call, we needed to get him. He, he, was, he was the first one to get to town. We were responsible for making sure they get fed and all that kind of thing. And so we meet him. At, at, at Damon's restaurant, and walk up, and there's this guy standing in there. He's about six six. His neck's about that big around. Bald head, big goatee, and a piece of log chain around his neck. I swear to goodness, you must be Russ. Well, yes, sir. I remember him not backing off from the waiter. Do you remember that? The waiter. He every time the waiter would come to the table, he'd try and give him Jesus. Man, it was awesome. He just looked like a barbarian. I mean, he's getting this chicken. He's like, I mean, he's like stuff everywhere, and he's just, I mean, he just looks the part. You know what I mean? Do you want Jesus? Russ wasn't about to back off. Are you sure? Well, let's pray. There's the waiter at the end of our table. Alder call. The second night of Power Force. Everybody's in here. Todd's back there in, in the fellowship area in the cafe. We're at the big screen TV piping stuff in. He thinks he's safe. And Russ walks right back the hallway. Finds Todd standing in the corner, standing in the corner. Okay. And Todd walks right up here with Russ. Todd gives his heart to Christ. See, grace is powerful. Grace alters things. I say that about those power force guys because sometimes we don't realize the power God has made available to us by his grace. And we see somebody like Russ. All of us long to be that kind of person, spiritually speaking. That we're not backing off and we're not giving up in the middle of a fight and we're not running away. 
See, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians or Philippians 4.13. He's talking. He says, I know, how to, I know how to make it through all kinds of circumstances. I know what it's like to be without. I know what it's like to be hungry. I know what it's like to be messed up. I know what it's like to, 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 to not have a place to sleep at night. I know all about that. And he says, I can do all things through this person of grace named Jesus Christ who gives me the power, the strength to do everything that I'm capable of doing in him. He gives me the power to do it. It's his grace. It's his power. It's his strength that does it. Grace leads us out and grace leads us through. For, we, we, we try and look for the, the way out, don't we? That's not what Paul writes here. I want to read you the whole passage in 1 Corinthians 10. Listen to these words. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall, he says. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more then you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. See, people would read that scripture, and, and uh, King James, King James, it reads something, he'll provide a way of escape. And that's really what we hope for. We're looking for the escape hatch. We want the, the fire escape out the back window. And that's not what he means at all. If that's what he meant at all, he would not attach that word endure. Jesus writes several places in the book of Revelation as we're approaching. I mean, how many of you guys are really kind of anxious and amped up about what's going on in the Middle East right now? Anybody anxious about that? Egypt and Syria and Yemen and Jordan. Now Iran's having protests. and It's becoming like a powder keg over there, isn't it? Fun, 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 right? And then that, as we look at that, we start automatically thinking about the end times, book of Daniel, book of Revelation. Over and over again in the book of Revelation, Jesus says words like, to him who endures shall be given the crown of life to him who overcomes. You know what I mean? Over and over again, we, we hear those, those things that are pointing us towards and saying, you can make it, you can endure it. He said, I'm not necessarily going to jerk you out of that thing, that problem, but if you hang on to me and allow my grace to have its work in your life, you will get to the other side. We'll see the work of God transpire. Are you looking for substitution or are you looking for transformation? Grace leads us out and leads us through. This song we stole the title of these messages from, from John Newton. He wrote some pieces of some words that make us think about how he had a lock on this thing called grace. Listen, through many dangers toils and snares I have already come his grace that brought me safe as far and grace will lead me on he had come to grips John Newton had come to grips with the grace of God that it was the, it was the thing that got him through it was the power that helped him overcome. It was the, the, the amazing grace of God that pushed him onward and forward and upward. It was that grace. We sang this part of the song last week. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. 
Oh, grace is a powerful, powerful, powerful thing. Grace is just not a person. Grace is power. Grace is not just an ushigushi. Grace is strength that is, shows itself in the life of believers as they hold tightly to the hand of the person of grace, and he leads them on over buffeting you? What's messing with you? What thing is poking you? What thing is disrupting? What thing is frustrating? And are you asking for it to be taken away? Are you asking for God to have his perfect work in your life that you might be transformed into the likeness and the image of God? It could be you asked the prayer and God would, would substitutionarily remove the thing. But it could be also that God would say, hey, I'm going to take care of it. Let's walk through the process together. What do you say? And I will answer both of your prayers. I will both transform you into the likeness image of me. And at the end of it, I will help you get over whatever this thing is that's buffeting you. Which do you want? That's the question. Listen, listen to this, this, this passage from Hebrews 4. This high priest of ours, the person of grace, understands our weakness. Remember Paul wrote, in your weakness, speaking as a father had spoken to him, in my weakness, in your weakness, my power works best. This high priest of ours understands our weakness. This Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Asking for God to take the cup away understands that you would like a way out. You want an escape hatch. He gets it. But he also understands that sometimes the best thing for you is the, 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 the escape through, not the escape out of. Because you know what? The transformation of all of history and of humankind of the world came through a, a request of transformation, not a request of substitution. Actually, it was a request of substitution and, and transformation simultaneously. Because Jesus was our substitute. And he was the vehicle by which our lives, history. For he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not. So, the writer says in Hebrews, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There's the lovey, warm part of it. Our gracious God, our Father in heaven, the big lap, the big recliner in heaven, the big place where we can come and get that hug, that embrace, that thing. Let us receive, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we'll receive mercy. Now listen to the next line. And we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Back, I used to see him praises all the time. I asked Jesus, "How much do you love me?" And I stretched out his arms. Strength to overcome. The ability to overcome. For you today, will it be? Will it be the quick fix? 
You want merely just a substitution? You want the transformation? You really want the grace of God to be displayed in your life. Let the grace of God of Satan poking at you. Nudging you around. Covered with holy He stands today as he stood hung on that cross for 2,000 years. His arms stretched wide. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My grace will be sufficient. You don't know him. He's calling out to you. you're running for suffering looking for life you are through suffering on this hell this overcame death and hell coming out of a tomb risen Savior, who stands today, sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you. There. Moment. Be honest with God. Honest with me. Not really not walk with Him. I've been asking you to come to me. That's not what God wants you to do. I've been asking you
Not on us. For your grace, you give us all that we need. Lord Jesus, wash away our guilt and shame. Wash away, Lord Jesus, sin in our Wash away from us. Not one day that we live, Lord Jesus, that we don't need your Holy Spirit to be at work. Right now in this moment, we pause before we take, do anything forward, anything more, Lord Jesus, about our day or about our week, Lord. And we say, Jesus, your grace is all that I need, all that I want. So here I am, pour it on me, Lord. important think about things I think it's important to you felt that buffeting like Jesus did in that garden if you'll throw up your hand that simple God your grace is all I need I'm and work around I want both your substitution to be sufficient and your transformation to have its work life, Lord. Lord, I don't want just a quick fix. I want
life Thank you.